Welcome to Cybercast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. Today, we're continuing our Cybercast ransomware mini-series, where we have been and will continue to dive into how civilian and defense agencies are addressing ransomware threats. So far, we've heard about how the Defense Department Cyber Crime Center is mitigating ransomware threats across the defense industrial base, and how the Food and Drug Administration is working to make medical devices more resilient. We're going to continue focusing on the civilian sector today, from the Federal Bureau of Investigation's perspective. The FBI Cyber Division has been around for about 20 years, and throughout that time, the agency has seen and investigated the evolution of ransomware and cyber threats. The FBI has collaborated with the private sector to help establish best practices in cybersecurity and investigate ransomware incidents. In recent years, it has also collaborated with other federal agencies like the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to coordinate government activities to mitigate cyber threats across the country. Needless to say, the FBI has a key role to play in national activities to prevent and address ransomware attacks. We'll dive into that work today with the FBI Cybercrime Section Chief, Brian Smith. He'll go into how the FBI has seen ransomware evolve over time, what the FBI's partnerships with other agencies and companies look like in mitigating ransomware threats, and how entities can continue improving their cyber posture to remain resilient as the ransomware landscape continues to change. All right, Brian, thank you so much for joining us on Cybercast for our ransomware mini-series. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I just wanted to talk a little bit first about the FBI's role with ransomware. How has the FBI seen ransomware evolving over the years, especially as incidents have really risen, in particular just recently? Yeah, so um, I get that a lot of questions about the kind of the history of ransomware. And, you know, if you go back, and I think there's some real lessons that we can learn from that is that if you go back to kind of the early stages, and it's been going on for a long, maybe 20 years, you know, you could say, but really kind of the modern day of ransomware is more like the 2014 timeframe. And during that time period, the actors were really focused on individual entities, individual computers, uh, and the ransom was in low dollar payments. Uh, we're talking about a couple hundreds of dollars. And so you saw in the early stages, a lot of real small entities being targeted for ransomware, um, dentist offices, uh, mom and pop shops. Uh, it was highly impactful for them but it wasn't having the same kind of impact that we've certainly seen over the last year with some of the larger ransomware events. And so it really, you know, the mitigation strategy, which was something that we and our law enforcement partners had pushed out was that ensure you have adequate back, backups. Um, that if, you know, there's all sorts of prevention techniques that you can utilize, but if you've got backups, they encrypt your data, you've gone through a practice of restoring from those backups, you can restore your system with minimal downtime and damage to it. Uh, and of course, we recommended not paying those ransom amounts um, because it only encouraged the activity of the actors. 
since then, they have certainly transitioned um, and into a targeting of networks and organizations. And that really is because of the economic uh, value of targeting the larger entities. There are bigger pockets and you can have a bigger impact, which means that you can ask for a bigger ransom within it. So throughout all this, and I think when we talk through it, you'll hear that message of this is really just basic economics and this is profitable for them. And so this targeting of big organizations or big whale hunting, as it's been called, uh, led to lucrative payouts for them. Um, as entities got better at either restoring from backups, using that advice that we had given, the adversary adjusted their tactics. And they added a double extortion um, to their suite of products, if you want to call it, by which they would, once they gained access to your system, they also would then pivot and gain access to data within that system and exfiltrate that data so that then they had copies of it. And if you were able to restore from backups, you now had this double extortion of they would expose that data that they had taken from you. And some of that data may be uh, important information uh, for your company and it's trade secrets. It may be uh, profit and loss information. It may be income statements. It may just be emails and embarrassing things to the company that you wouldn't want to get out. So they added that to their repertoire. And then uh, recently, they've added uh, triple extortion, where if companies decide that they're not going to pay, they're going to restore from backups, they're not going to fall for the double extortion and the data um, extortion piece of it, that they start harassing your employees and calling them um, because they've taken directories from your systems. And so they call them, sometimes they call them at home and threaten them. Uh, they also threaten vendors and expose the fact that there was a ransomware uh, event at the company, which they, that vendor or supplier may or may not be aware of. So again, the entire purpose of that is to put more pressure on the entity uh, to pay the ransom. And so that's been the consistency on that. And we will probably see another form of that coming. I don't know what it is right now, but some other way to increase that pressure uh, on the victim to make the payment. And the lesson I think that we can learn from that is that these actors will adjust. Um, and so we have to continue to be looking at different ways that we can mitigate this uh, on the prevention side uh, and then cause disruption for them on the investigative and the prosecutive side, but they will adjust to the tactics that we take. And so there's no panacea for us. We've got to keep reevaluating what they're doing and what tools and capabilities we can start bringing to that fight. Definitely. And before we start talking about those evolving tactics, um, you were talking before about how in many ways, this is basic economics, but what are some of the other causes for rising ransomware attempts? Would you say it's also evolving technological capabilities or um, generally, you know, some organizations getting together and coordinating ransomware attacks? What are some of these causes? Yeah, so the driving force is the profitability. Um, and it's lucrative and it's profitable, and that's why they engage in this activity. Um, but there are also some of the enablers that uh, 
for the increase that we've seen within this. One is, and you alluded it to it right there, is we have integrated networks. You have suppliers networks, which are connected to uh, manufacturers um, or distributors. And so that is another avenue by which they can gain access from one entity to another. And certainly within companies, you have a whole host of sub networks within there and they are all connected because over the last 20, 30 years, we've recognized that the speed of pushing information between departments, um, between entities within an organization makes us more efficient, makes us more effective and makes them more profitable. And they are taking advantage of those efficiencies that we have put into our systems and exploiting that by enabled the encryption of not just one area of the network, but multiple areas of the network. Um, another uh, enabler of it is cryptocurrency, uh, which is not inherently nefarious. I wanna make that clear, but it does have a significant impact on the ability of these actors to engage in this activity because of the level of anonymity that it provides for the transactions and the movement of value and then the speed wide to which they can transfer value uh, across the globe in a very short period of time. That has certainly been exploited by ransomware actors as well as then just generally cyber actors to enable their activity. And then the last piece I think that has enabled it is the uh, availability of encryption. The very nature of ransomware is that they're encrypting data and you, Encryption capabilities were historically housed within governments, and so that wasn't available to the public. But as that has become more commonplace, certainly is now being used for the ransomware, but it's also the encryption that they utilize uh, to hide their files um, and executables for antivirus software. It's the encryption that they utilize in their communications platforms which provides another layer of difficulty for law enforcement to go after these actors and to see the activity that they're engaging in. And actually there is one last thing and you alluded to it is then the groups getting together, I think as you phrased it, they have followed the Western model of commerce and have specialized in their activities. And so early on, you may have had the same person who's responsible for developing the malware, delivering the malware, and then the money laundering that they needed to do to take the, the Bitcoin that they had extracted out and then convert that into fiat currency is now they're outsourcing those things. And so that has grown in the affiliate model where you just get certain individuals who are just focused on gaining access to entities selling that access. And so you have specialized skill sets that they're bringing to the fight um, to target each individual victim. It certainly sounds like there are a number of factors there that really make this a difficult challenge, especially today as things are changing so much technologically. So focusing now on the FBI perspective here, how has the FBI investigated, mitigated, and addressed ransomware over time? And how have these duties evolved as CISA has also risen as a key agency that other federal agencies and entities report to when they face cyber incidents and ransomware? As I said earlier, the adversary has changed their tactics over time. 
And so we have had to adjust as well. And the FBI has done that. Our partner agencies have done that uh, to deal with not the threat that we saw back in 2014, but to deal with the threat as we see it today and the complexities that are involved in it. So whereas historically we may have focused on an individual victim, we are now focused on the enterprises. And when we focus on the enterprise, we're focused on each of the components that they need to engage in the activity that they are conducting. And so that's gonna run from the infrastructure that they need to engage in their attacks, the actors who are, who are actually behind those activities, and then the financial aspect of it. Because at the end of the day, as we talked about earlier, this is done for profit. This is done for revenue. And so if we're not focused on that piece of it, then we're missing the real purpose behind this. And so we're certainly bringing all of our capabilities uh, to that. We're very lucky in the FBI with our history, 110 plus years of doing investigative work. We have deep functional knowledge in a lot of different areas um, within counterintelligence, within terrorism, within organized crime, with white collar, within cyber, which we've been doing for 20 years. And so we are bringing those functional skill sets into the fight within cyber. And so you can imagine that, you know, maybe a technical cyber agent doesn't necessarily have the capabilities or the understanding of uh, following the money throughout the financial system. But we certainly have forensic accountants and white collar agents who are capable of doing that. And so we need to leverage that capability. We have that. When we see ransom ransomware being utilized by nation states, we have people who understand the thinking behind those nation states. And so that gets to the functional side of why they're engaged in this conduct. And so that's a really important piece to bring in it. We have a lot of capabilities at the FBI but we are not the only ones who have a role or capabilities in this space. And one of the things that you've, we've seen over the last couple of years is a greater acknowledgement, I think, within the government of the, how we need to leverage the best skill set at the right time. And so that's partnering with uh, other agencies, with Treasury, with Secret Service, and then with CISA now moving into the space, which has a hugely important role on the mitigation and the prevention side of it. And that's not, a, and I want to make it clear, that's not separate necessarily from the investigative pieces, is those inform each other. And so if you don't understand what's going on with the activity and the threat, then you can't do a very good job of guiding and preventing. And so we are in a much better space than we were a few years ago um, in making sure that we are aligned in those efforts. But it truly is, and it's not a cliche, is that it really takes a whole government approach to, to address and have an impact on this. Definitely, especially hearing earlier about those different elements that have contributed to the evolution of ransomware. So um, amid the evolving capabilities that have driven ransomware and these new partnerships that um, the FBI is trying to foster with other federal agencies, what are still some of the biggest challenges in mitigating ransomware attacks and investigating them from the FBI perspective? Well, one of them is 
the knowledge of what's happening out there. And that comes from victim reporting. The, I've seen stats that are low as 10%. I've seen it up to 40%, probably somewhere in between maybe 20, 30% of cyber incidents are actually reported to law enforcement. Um, and that's a problem. Um, what I will tell people is that the FBI, people come to the FBI because they're trying to give back. They're trying to serve their country, serve their community, help victims gain justice. So we are truly there to help people. That is why a lot of people, you know, a lot of people in the FBI have given up very lucrative careers to come here because they want to do that mission. As such, it's frustrating when we don't get information because if we don't get it in a timely way, we are unable to help. And some of the things that you, would ex you wouldn't expect from the FBI that occurred today is that when you call the FBI about a ransomware incident, it's not just a taking of information from the victim as to what happened, and then we're gonna walk away and not have contact with you. What we are doing in those is that when we have a ransomware incident and it may be a particular variant, that office may not actually be the investigative uh, office for that variant, but they're gonna be in contact with the folks who've been working that for you know, months or a year, who are real experts in knowing what that variant is. And when they reach out to you, they're gonna have that connective tissue back to the, that investigating squad and be able to provide the victim with indicators of compromise, techniques and practices that the adversary is using, what that adversary is typically doing, how long they're usually within the system, what other malware may be associated with that variant. And then if there's any decryption keys that we're aware of, we certainly are gonna provide that to you. In addition, as we've seen with some of our recent successes over the summer is that we may have, and I say may, because it's all dependent on the, each individual circumstance, the capability to get some of the money back or to retrieve some of the, uh, the assets from, the, from those wallets. But what I can assure people is that we can't do is that if you don't call us, or if you wait weeks or months to reach out to us, we can't help with those. There's a lot of value that we can, we can provide at a very early stage, but it only comes because you've reached out to us. And I think there's probably some concern as to, well, what does that look like? Um, is the FBI gonna come in with the blue coats and the yellow letters on the back? And the answer is no. This may be a phone call, it may be emails back and forth, it may be us showing up in person if that's what you want on it. We're discreet. People don't find, about, find out about things through the FBI, they find out about it through other methods, employees and vendors and other people who are talking about things, but it's not coming from here. We handle, the, we handle discreet things day, on a daily basis and we'll work with you through the pain of that initial incident to get you to a point where we've got what we need to help in our investigation and hopefully get justice back to the victim. That's a really important aspect, especially hearing the statistics around reporting. So, you know, just building off of that, what are some of the best practices that organizations 
whether federal or private, can take to protect themselves from ransomware? Or, you know, if they do encounter a ransomware incident, how can they adopt best practices in their incident response or leverage resources from the FBI or CISA to help? Yeah, so first thing I would say is do the basics well, and that is your basic cyber hygiene. Um, that is making sure that your antivirus is up to date, that you've patched your system at all levels. That stuff is not, that doesn't make great TV, but it really can handle a lot of the inbound traffic and the various activity that's trying to get into your network. Second thing is we recommend is that people treat cyber not as a technical issue, but as a business problem. And when I say business problem, if you think about the systems that we put in place, they were there to support business functions. And whether this is a nonprofit, a hospital, a manufacturer, that's what I mean when I say business. It's what you're trying to do as an entity. And the IT that you have behind that supports that activity. And somewhere along the way in the last 20, 30 years, we've somewhat divorced ourselves from the fact that that is a supporting function for this. And we've treated the IT as that you guys handle this over here while I do my business function. The best organizations at protecting themselves are the ones who have recognized that everybody has a role to play in this, that both in the hygiene portion of it, as well as the protection portion of it. And when I say protection, I mean each department within your organization has what you can call the crown jewels, which is really important to them. They need to make sure that that information is protected. And it may be different for different companies. And the, you can't rely upon the IT people to understand what's the most important. We always give the advice, act as if there's an intruder in network at all times. And so if you look at it that way and say, there's somebody in my network at any time, what is it that I really need to make sure that I'm protecting here? And then work with your IT part department to make sure they're protecting that. And they've got the utmost security on that instead of trying to protect everything at the same level. And that leaves them open for other activity to gain access. The other part is establish partnerships within your industry. Cyber is not a competitive advantage. We are all in this together. You know, there's a saying within the FBI, we call this a team sport. Um, and that certainly is true for law enforcement, but I think it's also for the private sector. And so the entities who recognize that they may be competitors out there on the outside, but when nation states or cyber criminals are attacking them, they need to be sharing information or better protect each other and their industry. The other part is then establishing partnerships with law enforcement, uh, and in particular for us, the FBI. Uh, you do not want your first interaction with us to be when you have a ransom demand hanging over your head. That's not when you're thinking the most clearly, none of us do. And so we want you to make that connections ahead of time. We can talk you through what this may look like. And so when you call us, you already have an understanding of what that, what that incident response looks like, what you can expect from us, what you won't be getting from us, which is, like I said earlier, the blue coat showing up on the door. 
And that makes the process so much smoother. And you can think about the decisions that you really need to make, which is the, how do I get my network back online? What am I going to do about this ransom demand? Am I going to pay it? What do I do as far as telling the public about this? And you can think through those, but you already have your game plan in place with law enforcement. Definitely. You know, getting to the technical level, um, you just mentioned a lot of relationship kind of uh, ways that people can mitigate or know how to address ransomware incidents. But um, with all of the evolving technologies out there, what kind of technologies or technical methods are best for protecting organizations from ransomware attempts or generally maintaining better cyber hygiene? Um, can things like AI or automation help? And what are the role of zero trust, ICAM, and other cybersecurity practices? Yeah, um, the answer is yes. <laughs> um, so technology, technology plays a large role in mitigating the cyber threat. Um, and like I said earlier, that can range from your basic cyber hygiene, such as updating and patching the systems, limiting privileges on the network, as well as multi-factor authentication, things like that. And you know, we have long advised entities to just assume that there is somebody uh, on your network. And then based off that premise, make sure you're authenticating at all levels to ensure the entity is who they are and that they have a need for access to that particular file or subnetwork or application within your network. And that's consistent with that concept of zero trust. But it also hits on, I think, another uh, important process or important part, which is process. And so there are a lot of technology tools and, and the AI that you talked about of understanding what people's behavior are so that you can then say, well, that is actually this individual that and they're behaving in the way that we expect. All those are layers that are really important and we need to, companies need to invest in those types of things, but that's not a panacea. And it's a combination of the technology, the process, which some of those may be manual. Some of those may slow down some of our business functions, but akin to when you've got a situation, if you are in a situation with a ransomware incident, you really want to slow down that decision-making process so you can be clear about it. And sometimes these manual process will help slow that process down so you can think about it and make sure that all the factors that you need to pull into that of whether or not you gain access or engage in some sort of activity like a wire transfer or something like that is exactly what you want to do. And then the last piece of it is then the people side of it. And that they're really the last and probably last and the first component of a defense in depth. And they're critical to protecting against ransomware activity. Most of this activity is coming through some sort of spear phishing campaign at some point, which is an individual clicking on something that they shouldn't have clicked on. And so they need to be part of that solution. And I think when you start pulling that people side of it, the process, and then utilizing some of those tools um, and the technology on top of it, that provides you with multiple layers of authentication, trust, and ability to confirm that people are who they say they are and that they indeed need to have access to what they're trying to gain access to. 
Thank you for that. And I also just want to look forward a bit. Um, we're talking a lot about what people can do now, but what does the future of mitigating ransomware look like? You know, the process of just keeping up with this is very intense. So how is the FBI moving from this sort of like investigate and prosecute methodology to disruption and mitigation? And, you know, how will you continue working with key stakeholders to keep up with the future of ransomware attacks? It's a, an evolving threat, um, and that's evolving in the actors who are engaged in it, their capabilities, the technology that they're utilizing. Um, and there's things that we are not going to be able to foresee that, you know, we'll have new technologies coming here in two years, three years, five years that we haven't dreamed of right now. So we have to have some sort of system and process in place that we can adjust to those. And I think, you know, the, the mantra of investigation and prosecution, there is nothing better to stopping a threat is putting people in jail. Um, and that is a key component to this, but we recognize that's not always possible um, and that we can't always arrest our way out of the problem. That is something we still need to be focused on and because it, it is so impactful when we can do it, um, but we really need to focus on how can we have an impact on the adversary? How do we, you know, we talked earlier about that they do this because it's profitable, how do we make those expenses higher for them so it's not as profitable? Um, and, and then when we talk about impact, what do we mean by that? Certainly arrest is part of that, but the other part is the thinking through all the things that they need in order to engage in their activity, how do we impact those? How do we disrupt those? And that is where I think we are, we have, we have moved to, we've been doing this for, for a while now. I think there's been a shift of recent of recognizing that partners have a key role to play in that. And that if we're going to, if the adversary is bringing specialized skills to this fight, which they have certainly with malware as a service and ransomware as a service, then we need to be doing the same thing. And so that ability to bring in the partners and leverage capabilities that they have within this space enables a greater impact than any one agency can have. So while the FBI, we have extremely talented people, a lot of capabilities within this space, a lot of authorities within this space, experience in this space, having done it for 20 years, this is a global problem, and we are leveraging that cap those capabilities of partner agencies more than I've seen in my 20 years within the FBI. And this involves whether it's a civil action against entities, whether this is the private sector taking action against somebody, a, another law enforcement agency domestically, a foreign law enforcement agent, agency taking action against them. It is bringing whatever skills and capabilities that we have to this fight to have that impact and make that cost of doing business much higher for the adversary with the hope that that will change the behavior. And when we have the opportunities to put people in custody, then we do that. 
there's been some high profile cases that have been made um, over the summer and some arrests that were made. And I think one of the things that is really important to highlight within those is that some of those arrests were made of individuals overseas and they were not based off US charging documents. And that I think shows, and that doesn't happen overnight, that comes from years of helping develop capabilities in foreign countries and recognizing that they have authorities and capabilities that they can use in this fight and that we're comfortable with that. And it's not a matter of credit and whether the United States or the FBI gets credit for somebody's arrest, but what sort of impact globally are we having to combat what the threat looks like? Well, thank you for that. I think, you know, that's the heart of this mini series we're doing. We want to take a look into how this is an evolving threat and how all of these people and agencies and private sector entities are working together to bring all of their knowledge and capabilities to tackle this challenge. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing the FBI's perspective. My pleasure. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for listening. Keep up with our evolving ransomware miniseries by following Cybercast at govciomedia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com. 